I am very, very excited for this brief sermon nap before we light our candles. Uh, and I say that not only because it's the Word of God and it's our opportunity to open up God's Word and to be reminded of these great truths, but I'm also excited because this is my opportunity to prove uh, to those of you who go to Redeemer that I actually can be brief. <laughs> they have yet to see it, and so I'm, I'm hoping to show it tonight. Moses delivered the people of God from Egypt, and the role of the prophet was born. And then after God covenanted with that people, he created the ironic priesthood, the Aaronic priesthood with the family of Aaron to deal with their sins, and the priesthood was established, although that technically existed before because Abraham had a priest. And then eventually after that, the people demanded a king. And so God condescended and the king of Israel was established and their first one, Saul, was a curse, but they were eventually blessed with David and his son, Solomon. And so there we have, among the people of God, crucial to the center of their life, these three roles, the prophets, the priests, and the kings. And what's important for us to remember tonight is that 2,000 years ago, when Jesus was born, he was born to fulfill all of those roles. A prophet was born 2,000 years ago. A priest was born 2,000 years ago. A king was born 2,000 years ago. Jesus, in his one person, fulfills all three of those offices. Theologians have referred to this as the threefold office of Christ. One office with three chairs, if you will. Prophet, priest, and king. And I just remind you, this is very important when we talk about the incarnation. Here at Redeemer Christian Fellowship, we have two confessions of faith that we sort of hold as authorities for us. There's the Westminster Confession and the Second London Baptist Confession. And what's interesting about those confessions is when you go to the chapter that's specifically voted, devoted to, to who Jesus is, his incarnation, one of the first things that they will talk about is his role of prophet, priest, and king. Now, I don't say that to geek out and, and make you feel bad if you don't know what those confessions are. That's totally fine if you don't. But the reason I bring that up is to say I'm not the only person who has seen these two doctrines, the incarnation and the threefold office of Christ, as belonging in the same conversation together. In other words, I'm not taking two doctrines from the Bible and just trying to cram them into this great Christmas Eve sermon. This conversation belongs together. Who was it that was born 2,000 years ago? Our prophet, our priest, and our king. And I want us to see uh, one, uh, the, the Bible establishes this all throughout the New Testament, but I want us to look at one passage that I think uniquely brings all of these together. I know it's dark in here, and so I have the, uh, I forgot that I grabbed the thing. Now I misplaced it. So we will have the text up here for everybody to read, um, but there seems to be enough light. If you would like to open up your Bibles, please, you may, to Hebrews chapter 1. This is Hebrews chapter 1, beginning in uh, verses 1 through 4. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom He also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. 
After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. It was not long ago that I was in school and I one time had an assignment. Well, actually, I take that back. It was quite a long time ago I was in school. Uh, but I remember an assignment in one of my classes where we had to try to come up with what, do you, what is the greatest introduction to a piece of literature ever? Like what's, what's the greatest beginning of a book? And I, I wish I would have recorded some of, the, some of my classmates' answers. The only one I can remember is someone said, Moby Dick, my name is Ishmael. You know, there's a lot of famous intros. Star Wars as a movie has a famous intro. You know, if you're a Star Wars fan, you can't wait for that ringing music and then the words to come across the screen. And there are some books and some movies that are just known for their introduction. And for me, it was so hard to answer this question because I didn't know what to pick between John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That is a hard introduction to beat. But I think Hebrews chapter 1 might take the cake. I mean, listen to this introduction. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom He also created the world. That is quite the introduction. But there are three interesting things that we see in this. Well, actually, I'm going to give us four interesting things that we see in these four verses. I want us to look here at how it's, it's subtle and it's quick, but all three of Christ's threefold office are present in this introduction. Look with me at Christ as prophet. Verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. So the author of Hebrews begins by reminding us, how is it that we knew God in the Old Testament? Whose job was it to hear from God and tell the people who God is, what He expects, and how we can honor Him? That was the job of the prophets. They were the ones hearing from God. They were the ones learning of God. They were the ones revealing that to the people. And the author of Hebrews tells us, the prophets have always been our standard for knowing who God is. But God has now given us something even greater, I dare say it, than Moses. Someone greater than Ezekiel. Someone greater than Daniel. He used to speak through the prophets, but in these days he has spoken to us in his, with his own son. If you want to know who God is, look no further than Jesus Christ. The perfect and full revelation of who God is. And Jesus was very clear about this during his ministry. He was very clear about his prophetic office that he has come, as John 1.18 says, to make the Father known. He came, as John 12 verse 49 says, to speak not any words that he has decided, but he says, I only speak the words that have been given to me from my Father. And that's why he can conclude in John 14.9, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Jesus came to take God Almighty and say, here you go. You want God, you've got him. Who is God? What does he expect from you? What is his religion? What is salvation? Christ says, let me show you, let me tell you. He is the greatest prophet the world has ever known. God used to speak to us by his prophets, but in these last days, he speaks through his son. 
Jesus Christ is our prophet who has revealed God to us. But he's also our priest. Look at verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And then this is the key. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. What did Jesus come to do? Yes, he came to reveal the Father. That's his role as prophet. But he also came to make purification for sins. He came to be the offering, to offer the sacrifice that purifies us from our sins. You see, in the Old Testament, this becomes a huge theme in the book of Hebrews. In the Old Testament, they had an elaborate priesthood system of going into the temple and sacrificing animals. And the high priest would be the mediator between God and men. And he would take it into the Holy of Holies and only he could go in there. There was this big, elaborate system. And Christ comes, as the book of Hebrews later on says, to enter into the heavenly Holy of Holies, the heavenly tabernacle, and be both priest and lamb. Be both priest and offering and offer for us a sacrifice that unlike the Old Testament was perfectly sufficient. It actually forgave us. You see, in Hebrews chapter 10, the author of Hebrews reminds us, you know those Old Testament sacrifices, they were never really intended to forgive you. Otherwise, you wouldn't have to do them so often. He says you would have done your sacrifice, sins forgiven. But no, every single year they repeat the process and the high priest have to offer a sacrifice for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. And apparently it didn't work because they come back the next year and they offer. But the book of Hebrews says, but guess what Christ has done? One sacrifice, once for all, finished. That was his cry, by the way, not mine. It was he who on that cross says, it is finished. He is our priest as 1 Timothy 2.5 says, there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. He stands in the gap. He forgave us of our sins. He died to purify us. And he now ascended to the right hand of God so that he can forever be our mediator. When we pray to God, we pray in Christ's name. You want to know why? Because your prayers have no business before a holy God. You have no business praying to God. Your prayers are filthy. You are filthy unless you have a mediator. You have someone who has purified you. You have someone who has purified your prayers. And now it is in and through Christ that we come to the throne of grace with confidence. I am accepted by God. I am pure. I am lovely. And it's because of what my great high priest did for me and continues to do for me. Jesus is our prophet who reveals God to us. Jesus is our priest who makes an atonement for our sins. We see also in this text that Jesus is our king. He is our king. Look with me at verses 2 through 3. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. That's royalty language. That's lineage. When Jesus was born, they were holding royalty. They were holding, this is the king's son who the king has given all possessions into his hand. He is the heir of all that God possesses, which is everything. That's why, by the way, Jesus says in that great commission, if you've been a Christian for any period of time, you've at some point heard someone talk about the great commission. Go, therefore, 
preach the gospel, baptizing every nation in the name of the Father, Son. But remember, how does that begin? Before Jesus launches the church on this commission, how does it begin? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. You see, Jesus is king over the universe. He has inherited. He is the heir of all things. They all belong to him. Everything you see, everything you can't see, everything you think, Jesus says, that is mine without exception. I own that. He owns our lives. He owns our bodies. He owns our institutions. He owns our world. He is the king who has inherited everything. We also see this uh, continuing in verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Again, that's kingly language. Christ is seated on a heavenly throne. And by the way, Acts chapter 2 Peter gives this amazing sermon right after Pentecost. And you know what Peter refers to this heavenly throne as? The throne of David. He tells the Jewish people, he says, you remember in uh, 2 Samuel when God established the Davidic covenant and he promised that one of his descendants would always reign on the throne of David? Yeah, that happened after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended to heaven. That's what Peter says. That's not me, that's Peter. We have a new king and he's better than David. And the throne he sits on is better than David's. We see in this text Christ as prophet, priest, and king. But this text gives us one additional element. What is it, we'll end with this, what is it that makes Christ so much better? Christ is prophet, Moses is prophet, Christ is better. Why? Christ is priest, Melchizedek is priest. Christ is better. Why? Christ is king, but so is David, so are Solomon. They were pretty good kings. Why is Christ better? What does the text tell us? Because he's God. Because he's God. He is our divine prophet, our divine priest, our divine king. Look at what the text says, verses 2 through 3. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. You ask any Jewish person of the first century, who is the creator? And they will quote for you Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God is creator. Yahweh is creator. There is no one that has the kind of power to make galaxies and nebulas and at the same time, electrons and protons and neutrons from nothing. Who has that kind of power? But God himself. And we would agree. But what does the text say? How did God create? Through Christ. You see, you would, Christ did something that Moses and Aaron never did. And that is make everything. As a matter of fact, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 17 says this about Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Who else can you say that about but God himself? 
Here we have Paul in Colossians telling us Jesus made everything. He created it all. And why did he create it? For his own self. It was made through him and for him. He is literally the apex of all of creation. The most important thing in all of creation. Who could we possibly say that about? Not Moses. Not David. By the way, the text echoes Colossians chapter 1 when it reminds us as well at the end of verse 3 that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. I guarantee every one of you came here tonight believing the sun was going to rise tomorrow. Why is the sun going to rise tomorrow? How do you know that? Because it always has. That doesn't prove anything. You can drive by three blue houses. That doesn't mean the fourth one's going to be blue. So the sun's risen every morning you've been alive. It doesn't mean it's going to rise tomorrow. How do you know it's going to rise tomorrow? Why do you believe the universe is so orderly and put together and consistent and observable? Why do you believe that? How do you know that? David Hume was a famous atheistic philosopher. And David Hume, you can read, he has a chapter in one of his books called The Problem of Induction. And he claimed this is the greatest problem atheists haven't figured out yet. You want to know why? Because you know what David's Hume answer to this is? We don't know. We don't know. And the, the only scientific attempts to prove it would assume it. So it's all circular. We don't know. The author of Hebrew knows. Why is the, why is the sun going to rise tomorrow? Because Christ Jesus is a powerful God who by the word of his power is upholding all things. It is he who holds all creation in his hands and keeps all of this consistent it is he who gives us every breath that we breathe. Every beat of our heart comes from his mercy in hand. You can't say that about Moses. And by the way, one other point to his deity. This is really, really important. Verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. There is no being on the face of the earth that is as glorious as God. And here comes the author of Hebrews saying, you want to see the glory of God? Look at Christ. God's glory radiates through Christ. But what's even more striking than that is he says, we've got God the Father, God Almighty, and we've got the Son. And what do we know about the Son? He is the exact representation. By the way, this is where we get our word, the, the Greek word here is character, where we get our word character. You can draw someone's picture of character. But in, 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 in Greek language, this would have been the same thing as a signet ring. You know, they use for like logos and stamps and things like that. And you make a copy of one and now you have two identical copies. The author of Hebrews is saying, if you compare God Almighty to Jesus, you're going to find no difference. <laughs> They're identical copies. The exact imprint of his nature. And that word nature is very important. It is who is God? That's who Jesus is. Is God eternal? Then so is Jesus. Is God all-powerful? Then so is Jesus. Is God all-loving? Then so is Jesus. You can't spot the difference. As it comes to their nature, as it comes to their essence, as it pertains to their being, they share it exactly the same. So what this reminds us of is this. We needed a prophet. We needed a priest. We needed a king. And what happened 2,000 years ago was God decided not just to give us another prophet. We had a lot of those. 
He decided not to just give us another priest. We've had a lot of those. He didn't just give us another king. We've had a lot of those, most of them terrible, by the way. You see, when we needed it most, he didn't send somebody else. He sent himself. When we needed God most, he didn't send someone else. He gave us himself. God came to us. He didn't send someone else to do it. He came to us. It was God who showed up in Bethlehem to be king because he is omnipotent. It is God who showed up in Bethlehem to be our priest because he is omnibenevolent. And it is God who showed up in Bethlehem to be our great prophet because he is omniscient. Our divine prophet, our divine priest, our divine king.